Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for the chance all the students have to go home, and we're grateful for people who have a chance to travel and enjoy, visit friends, watch over them. But those of us who are still here, Lord, we want you to open our hearts and minds up to the word, that we would be more faithful to your kingdom. In your son's name, amen. We're in John 13, uh, end of John 13, going into John 14. And the reason is, I went to a Presbyterian church last week. Came out alive. Hoboken Redeemer, which one of Tim Keller's plants there in the New York area. To pastor with Tony Hinchliffe, who's an Englishman, maybe a little younger than I, single guy. Nice guy. I did a good job on John 14. But because he was going through John 14, I was sitting there in my folding chair uh, thinking about John 14. He had some good things to say. I'm not going to go to the same direction he went, but it caused me to think about John 14 for the, for the last week. And uh, so I wanted to bring up some points. It's one of those passages where Jesus is doing his darndest to confuse the heck out of you. And he wants you, and, and the wonder of that is those of you who are called and are pursuing Christ, you really want to know the answer. It's like a riddle being laid out in front of you. Leslie is reading Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco currently. And last night she was, we were trying to look up online because our Latin is not good enough to translate the Latin phrasings. There was a Latin riddle which we think must have been in medieval Latin, not classical Latin. And so the tr Latin translations that were coming up were just even more, it's already a riddle. And then you put it into bad English and it's worse of a riddle. And then you stop going, you stop caring. But as Christians, we don't stop caring. And there's all sorts of wealth in John 14, all sorts of it. Go over it again and again and you'll find other interesting tie-ins to things. But I wanted to start in John 13 because it lays the groundwork. This is, most of John is uh, the, the passion, essentially. It's not the passion, all the crucifixion, but the Last Supper and his talk with the disciples. And this is right after Judas Iscariot is dismissed from the Lord's Supper. Christ gives him the morsel of bread and says, whatever you do, do quickly. And the first line there is, when he had gone out, that's Judas. So he's speaking to the remaining 11. Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and in him God is glorified. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Now already you're going, what? And since you're going, what? I'm not going to, that's not the path of the verse I'm on, but that's where his beginning point is. And he ties the, the work that we know is coming up, his death and burial and resurrection, Christ's purpose on earth, God is going to be glorified in Christ and Christ in God in this, and it's going to be at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, so I now say to you. 
Where I am going, you cannot come. As I said to the Jews, I now say to you, just the regular people he had taught, back in, I have the passage in John 7, Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little longer than I will go to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. That's what he's referring to. He's talking to the Jews generally. And you can't go where I'm going. And he says the same to his disciples. Where I'm going, you cannot come. One of the, and maybe we notice this with small children, maybe you notice it with yourself, when you find out you can't have something. Oh, who was telling me about something? Oh, it was um, after the shootings with Arby's. I forget who was telling me this, but they kept hearing commercials about Arby's, and Arby's wasn't open because of the shootings for about a month or something like that. And he couldn't believe the degree of lust he had for Arby's, but he could not gratify it. I don't know if you are similarly disposed in other situations where you tell a child no and it wants that most, most of all at that point. Jesus deals with us a lot that way. Because he wants to have... Not just you understand, he wants you, by your need to understand, separate yourself from those who don't need to understand. That's why he always says, to him who has will more be given. To him who has not, what he has will be taken away. That's why he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus sets himself up to put a block between you and him, you and the answer, and make that just enough to stop every man, but only a temporary, like a speed bump for the person that is seeking God. He wants to get over it. He wants to know more. He wants to ask Christ a question. And you want to ask yourself, when you come across difficult wordings or riddle-like expressions of the Lord, why is he saying to his disciples, where I am going, you cannot come? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now he slips that in there. Now we know that's echoed again and again in uh, 1 John the same apostle writing both books, the new commandment we were given that we love one another. It's kind, although it doesn't appear to be a, a, it's a good thing, it's a good saying, um, isn't it great that we Christians should love one another? We all like that. We don't stop to really examine whether or not we have proved adequately in our love for one another that we are the Lord's disciples. He has just told his disciples where he is going, they cannot come. Told his disciples. You know what disciples are? You know, discipuli, students, pupils. People that are coming to you to know something. You have a student on campus, you're a professor, you're 
they're, they're disciples. And disciples of a philosopher or a religious teacher are followers, right? And that's the theme that you'll see throughout the Gospel of John. You'll see it in some of the other Gospels too. It's like it says of he's selecting the apostles of Philip, I think, at the beginning. He says, follow me. All the way down to the end of the book where he tells uh, Peter to not worry about John. What is that to you? Follow me. Following Christ, being a disciple of Christ, you've just been told you can't go where he's going. And that you will be known as his followers if you love one another, but you can't go where he's going. I don't know if that ever crossed your mind about following. There's something hidden. I'm a follower of who would name something? Uh, Apple Corporation. What? Nicotine. Nicotine. Nicotine doesn't lead very well. It's more of a compulsion. Um, When you're a follower, we're a little bit dyke. We we know when we say, oh, I'm a follower of Rand Paul. People look at you like, eh? or I'm a follower of, uh, who else would you be a follower of? Sarah Palin. It's a follower of C.S. Lewis, Billy Graham, Corey Ten Boom. I don't care, a follower. You say, well, that's, that's probably a little bit much. I wouldn't be a follower of Corey Ten Boom. I would be benefited by her, but benefited by C.S. Lewis. Sarah Palin has nice shoes. Um, but not really a follower. What's a, what's a follower? What have you just done when you have a fo- when you're a follower? You have just given destination and way to someone else. You are standing in the wake of someone else, and that someone else is deciding where the boat or the car or the journey goes and how you're going to get there. You're following. You ever send that send a couple cars going someplace? I'll follow you. That person knows more of how to get to the mall than I know how to get to the mall. I'll follow you. It doesn't take much examination to realize that that's what we're doing or faced with at any time we claim to be a follower. And Christ has told us this kind of this abrupt truth that where he's going, you can't go. He's got a new commandment for you, that you love one another, and that people would know you as his followers if you did. Simon Peter, catching the hint, verse 36, Lord, where are you going? I mean, really clueless. This is the end of his life, the last night. This is just before he gets killed. Walking around in Palestine for two and a half years, three years, completely vacant. Where are you going? Didn't know you were leaving. Dumb as a stump. The Lord answered, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow afterward. Now, a lot of people, if they jumped into that verse, would see it resonating with Peter's eventual martyrdom that Christ is killed for for his ministry. Peter was as well. Going through death, who could follow him to to eternal life. If you jumped right into that passage, 
But Christ doesn't go there with it. And I don't even think that it's a problem to say it has a double or triple or quadruple meaning that you could, he's got all sorts of layers potentially. But look at what Peter says to this. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the cock will not crow till you have denied me three times tonight. Something is wrong with the disciples. Right now, the best the disciples had to offer, maybe Peter, that was the best, ready to make the greatest claim of belief, devotion to Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. No, you won't. You'll deny me three times. As soon as your life's in question, you'll go, I don't know the man. You will curse and say you don't know me. Seems like there's a problem in following Christ. Seems like something's got to happen. Maybe it's something along the lines of that a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Maybe there's, a, maybe there's something going on there, that something is laid aside, that the unregenerate Peter, he's not a Christian yet, he's a follower of Jesus, but there's some inability right now. You can't follow me right now. What I want you to be thinking about this morning is how do we face up to that in our own lives? How do we face up to ourselves as followers of Christ? He just tells Peter, that he's going to deny him three times, there's got to, put a, there's got to be a buzzkill on the conversation, largely. Peter's supposed to be having this great Passover meal, this sharing time. They don't even realize that Judas has been sent out to betray him. They thought he went to get stuff at the convenience store. Even after Jesus said, whoever I give this morsel to is going to betray me. Gives it to Judas. Judas goes out and leaves. And we go, oh. I mean, these are really... Well, they're just like us. We wouldn't pick up on it. We don't want to think the worst of people. But Christ is saying truth. He is saying, I've got stuff to do. I'm going someplace. Remember what he said to the disciples? I have a baptism to be baptized with. Are you willing to be baptized with this baptism? Are you willing why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things that I say? Jesus is not just a leader who wants followers, but he wants all the followers not to be find themselves wake up one morning in a cult, tricked into following this very you know, charming fellow, but they want people to face up to the task of choosing to follow this agent that they know will lead over here. That where I'm going, how I'm getting there is up to that person over there. Because I know what I'm choosing. 
So Christ in chapter 14, this is what we were covered in church last Sunday back east. Let not your hearts be troubled. He just told him he's going to deny him three times. You know, um, yeah, Peter, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. What I have told you is that I go to prepare a place for you. And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now listen to this. And will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Boy, filled with mystery and, hmm, what? Rooms? I mean, I don't know if the King James or what translation has mansions. You maybe memorize the passage that way. In my father's house there are many mansions. It means dwelling place, but since it's in the Lord's house, people translate it rooms, dwelling places as rooms. So he starts to suggest where we're going here, right? In my father's house. And he ties belief in God to belief in him. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you in that house. So Peter's lack of ability to go to be with Jesus, to follow him now, is not due to any lack of, you know, room space available. When we were flying back, our seats were reserved. People, some people fly standby. And they hoped to get a seat. And they were pleading with the people on our flight to stuff all their baggage under their seats so the standbys could all get on the plane. We don't have to worry about that. There are many, many rooms in our Lord's house. They are going to be prepared for us. The lack is not in accessibility. The lack is in Peter's circumstance. Peter's not ready. Peter is going to deny Jesus Christ. Peter has a problem with even loving Christ. Not just loving his fellow disciples, but loving Christ. I have this passage from John 10 on the side here. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you have the kind of relationship with Christ that, that, that you hear him directing you? Glenn and I were talking during the break about these things that the direction of God in our lives. Do, are you used to the voice of God? Not that you would actually hear God speaking. But where you're going, do you, can you say with confidence, yes, this is where Christ would take me. This is where the Holy Spirit of God Leads. A lot of people claim the Holy Spirit, and you look at their lives and you go, no, he's not that dumb. Why do you end up being so foolish if you're following the Spirit? This, but the, just because people claim the Spirit and then follow him into silly land, does not mean that God does not lead his faithful, his followers, by his Spirit, by his Son, by his direction. And you want to be looking for that. You say, I, but I have to get over a first hurdle. Before I get led anywhere, I've got to be following somebody. 
Because when the Lord comes again, part of following him will be us being taken by Christ. I like that phrase, and I'm not going to put too much stress on it because it could be a a way of, uh, a rhetorical way of using it. Take you to myself. You can look it up. I didn't take the time to do so as to whether or not how that, how poignant that is. But taking you to himself in order that you may be where he is. Whatever the case, the destination is to be with Christ. Part of the power to be there is to be taken by Christ. And then he says, and you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? They're confused by all these Directions, You know, believe in the Father, believe in me, many mansions over here, be in myself, you can always be where I am. And they're probably used to the style of teaching, but they're also conveniently uh, dumb. But I'm glad they asked the questions, because they, they were faithful to write down their own stupidity. And I, look, let's look what we said here. Then I said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said, famous verse, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You know the passage, but sometimes we don't realize what kind of weighty interchange was going on when that came out of his mouth. His disciples are confused. They're being told they can't come with him. They're revealing qualities about themselves that make him unable to come with him. Unless he's just talking about his imminent death, their lack of imminent death. But he seems to point at Peter's unreadiness as a soul. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Now, we know that the work of Jesus Christ is to reconcile us to the Father. But Christ doesn't want you to think that in in such comfortable Trinitarian categories. I'm Trinitarian, but I don't claim to be because it's not a biblical idea. I mean, the philosophy that you have to generate to create some statement about the Trinity. The Trinity is in the Word of God, but not the Word. Trinity and not the and never discusses how do you put those things together and Christ is willing to shovel another heaping dose of confusion on you you're going to the father by Christ and then he tells you that he's the destination because he and the father are one if you had known me you would have known my father also henceforth you know him and have seen him you have seen the Father. Is that that unified? You have seen the Father if you've seen Christ. Now, I don't know what that does to your Trinitarian definitions. I don't know if you even have one. But this is how Christ wants you to feel about his revelation of God. When it says he is divine, remember there is only one God. 
quote Captain America. Which he said in the movie. Did, did anybody see the movie? Pendant. Okay. Were you paying attention when Captain America said there was only one God? It was a religious film. And I, and I don't believe he dresses like that. Um, good theology, Captain America. There's only one God. And I'm claiming the same thing when I say Jesus is God as Christ is claiming here. And I start to feel this confusion. Don't run to your definitions. Definitions can't always bail you out. You're not following the definitions of the faith. You're following Christ. You want to be where he is because he is the Father. The Father is Christ. If you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we shall be satisfied. He just told him, you've seen me. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you do not know me, Philip? He's trying, remember he said it there back in verse, you know the way that I, where I am going? And they're going, no we don't. We don't even know where you're going, let alone the way. Because they have nice, convenient, categorical definitions of what a destination is and what a, you know, GPS map is. Tells you the way. 500 feet, turn left. That's what we would like with Jesus Christ. He says, no, I'm the shepherd and I'm the door to... I don't want you to be the shepherd and the door in the same parable. I don't want you to be the son and the father. I don't want you to be the way there and the place we're going to. If you live your life on theology and its definitions, it's a fun, avocational, argumentative world to be in. I, I enjoy it. But we're trying to straighten up things by standards that our Lord wants us to just hold this way. Have you not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Didn't I just tell you this? That'd be very hard for a Jew to wrap their head around, okay? Very hard for a Jew to wrap their head. The ineffable, the Yahweh, the I am. They took up stones to stone Jesus Christ at one point when he says, before Abraham was, I am. They knew what he meant. He made himself equal with God. He should be killed. So Philip's going, okay, are you really saying this? Because when you choose Jesus Christ, you say, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. You've got to go, if you're a follower, where he takes you and the route he takes you. Well, we might not be ready to go with him. I think, we all, I think we're all on board with that. Okay, yeah. If I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, I've got to be going where he's going and I've got to be willing to go the path he takes. Not the path I figure I could go. But the path he takes. 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Truly, I truly, I say to you, he who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Well, there are other sermons that could be preached on that, but we're looking at the whole I am the way, the truth, and the life aspect of this claim. And we're in a Christian nation, a lot of us raised in Christian homes, and we had little baby Jesuses in our nativity scenes. We had little statues of Jesus. Some of us are Catholic backgrounds, or, or we've got, we got a cross. Maybe you've seen the crucifix. We've got pictures of Jesus all over the place. Christmas cards, Easter cards. We know Jesus. We got Jesus. We got it worked out. We understand that our history of the West is the history of Christendom. We have different opinions about what that all means or which group is right. We have got Jesus all around us. Just like the disciples had Jesus in their life for three years, and here it is last night on earth, and they don't know what they're looking at. We don't know what we're looking at. We've in so many ways replaced Jesus Christ with the cross, or the crucifix, or the history of the church, or the nature of your denomination's theology. You've believed in those things. You've followed those things. You'd rather march into war with an army with a cross in front of it than with Jesus in front of it. Because we're very able to have physical religion take us aside. But we're not following Christ. We're not going where he told us to go. He claims in this remainder of this chapter, we don't go quite to the end of the chapter, as much as it would fit on the page here, he is showing and speaking about the way, he's speaking about the truth, and he's speaking about the life. Now, well, we've just seen him discussing that he's taking you to the Father. I'm going to the Father myself, preparing rooms for you. I'll come back and get you so you can be in me. So you can always be where I am. I'm taking you to myself because I and the Father are one. Deal with it. We have to realize that our journey and our process, our route, is Jesus Christ. Not doctrines of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. It is someone with whom we deal, not a claim. Now, I can make truth claims out of Jesus Christ, and uh, they'll be true. You know, I can make truth claims about a lot of these things, but... People are often, just like we're sidetracked by a cross that represents the atoning work of Jesus Christ, I get sidetracked by the cross. I get sidetracked by the 
the description I can give of what I am following in Christ. But I'm following someone. All the people in our history of our, our denomination, if we had one, have always gone this way when we've gone to the mall. When we were following Christ, when the founder of our church, back in the 500s, was uh, driving to the mall following Jesus, he went this way. So you don't need to follow Jesus anymore. You follow the leader of our church from the 500s AD, who went this way. And we always will go this way. We have all sorts of ways not to follow Christ and disguise it as following Christ. We need to get that clear. We need to know him. Philip, yet you do not know me? Philip, put your own name at the end. Yet you do not know me, Evan? You've looked at the Bible for so you do not know Christ? Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We've got a new commandment, love one another. We've got all the commandments of our Lord that we're, said, we're told that if we love him, we will keep. He repeats this in 1 John. For this is the love of God, that you keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Because they don't register with us as commandments. They are the imperatives of the Christian life. How does Christ want us to live? And he, by this love, Paul argues in Romans 14, that love fulfills the commandments. If we love, we fulfill the commandments. We don't go looking for commandments and then go to fulfill them. That's just legalism. We don't try to prove love by being law abiders. We love, and we do what our Lord wants. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. So Christ, he is the way, not only the route, but the destination. He then sends the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So by Christ's act, not only is he the way and the truth, and this follows up in John, 1 John, uh, John repeats this in his epistle, if I can find it. I write this, this is John, I have the reference here, John 2, 26 and 27. I write this to you about those who would deceive you. But the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Paul, John at the end of his life is still resonating and pushing the same message. You have received something from God, a not a doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he is the spirit of the truth of God. But I thought he was the, I thought Jesus was the truth. And what do you be, 
what are you, automatic polytheists? You can't think of one God? Jesus Christ, you've seen him, you've seen the Father. You've got the spirit of truth. And in Romans, we covered it a few weeks ago. If you do not have the spirit of Christ, you do not have Christ. This is one God, folks. You, you don't have to come up with a definition. Don't worry yourself. One God. This truth sent by the Son, the spirit of truth, to be with us. But it must be with you, not as a doctrine, but as an agent. As a person. What you have in your own life is a spirit leading. People say they're... This is why people like to become really tight about Bible instruction. And we're, we're big on the biblical instruction. We want to stay close to the Word of God. Because um, it's an objective source of people who were filled with this spirit... I am holding the spirit in me up to examination to say, hey, is it the same spirit as the spirit of St. John? Is it the same spirit as the spirit of St. Paul, St. Peter, St. James? Do I have that spirit? I have a spirit. And its results are going to determine whether or not I'm sharing the spirit with them. John says that we know the spirit of truth and spirit of error. Um... By who we listen to. Do they listen? Do you listen to the apostles? Do you not? You know the Spirit. We're matching each other. We know that we sit here and we all are led by the anointing of God. And sometimes we will be not agreeing with things. We know that we're trying to, there's not multiple truths in Christianity, but we want to know the mind of God. We want to be changed by the Spirit of truth dwelling with us. And it's a great, a great blessing when we find ourselves convinced or rejoicing in the same knowledge. I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. Remember, he is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. He told you what the way was, he told you what the truth was, and now he's telling you what the life is. And the life is in his resurrection, his return to us. The world won't see him anymore, but because he lives, we will live. And that's that Romans passage we covered, Romans 6, 4. As Christ was raised, yeah, I try to quote it without, I, I cobble some passages together, probably illegitimately. We were therefore baptized, therefore with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's what we have. That's what we have in Christ. And we got to be worried at this point if where he is going we can go. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. We want assurance. If you get more, First John is large about assurance of salvation. Some of these same concepts are hammered home in John as assurances that you will know that you are in him. 
that you have been led by the way, you have found the truth, and you have found the life by certain things. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Has the definition of Jesus ever manifested itself to you? The definition that we put up on, I think he was, you know, however you describe him, historically, completely accurately, has the definition ever jumped off the page and introduced itself? Manifest. It's an epiphany. That's what manifest is. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Well, you know, this is a regular saw I get on. Um, we want to go to the playoffs. We want our team to be in the final 16 at least. Up against the Muslims? You bet. Mormons? We gotta, we gotta show we're winners. How come you're not, you know, if this is all true, why don't we get to be on the winning team where you show it to everybody? Why doesn't he make it obvious? I mean, this is one of the most obvious questions you get from people all the time. If God is God, if Christ is true, why doesn't he prove it to everybody? That's what he's saying. Jesus doesn't even address it. The question's there. Jesus answered him without saying, I don't want to. He says, if a man loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He restates what he stated right above that. He tells you what your faith is about. It's not about having the Christian team go to the playoffs. It's about you being changed by your encounter with Jesus Christ. If a man, singular, a man, singular but general, if a man loves me, this is Peter's problem. And because we want to think of it in terms of the playoffs, and we want to think of it as our, our corporate wholeness, either as our church, or all of Christianity in Moscow, or all of Christendom in the world, and all of Christendom in the history of Christendom, tussling it out with the other side, which is either the devil, or Mohammed, or Joseph Smith, Baal, I don't know, whatever the enemy is, and I choose. Who are you going to serve? And really the choice is, Peter, what are you going to choose? Me or you? That's what it is for Peter. Not choosing whether he's going to follow Pontius Pilate or Jesus Christ. Not choosing whether he's going to follow the Jews or Jesus Christ. Peter has got to choose whether he's going to follow Peter or Jesus Christ. Because all those other decisions are those decisions that Peter wants to make because of Peter's wisdom about where Peter should end up. 
And somebody says, weren't you with that guy? And he says, no, I didn't know him. <coughs> and Jesus has told you, he is the way and the destination. He is the Father himself. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. He is the truth. He is ready to personally indwell you. He is the life, change you to the newness of life by his own death and resurrection. And the conditions are, if a man loves me, he will follow me. If you wanted to sum it up, if a man loves me, he will follow me. That means he will do what I say. He will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He has just promised already the Spirit is going to indwell you and be left with you. And now he's saying, and the Father and the Son too. We're all there. Make a mess of your Trinitarian definitions. In John 12, 24 here on the side. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You get a sense that John is letting you know stuff about our Lord and the conditions. And what we must be looking for is the path to find Christ himself and to be, be led by what he says and to put aside what Peter had failed to put aside. Peter was ready to make claims. You might be ready to make claims. I'll be there. I'll be there at church every Sunday. I'll be at Bible studies. I'll do stuff. I'll name my kids Bible names. It comes down to it. Would your plans trump the Lord's? Would your hopes, would your desires, would your passions, your losses cause you to reconsider? If you hate your life, you will keep it for eternal life. If you hate it. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words which you hear is not mine but the fathers who sent me. This is a crisis of divinity. You are facing the Almighty. He who wants his creation to be a certain way, and he has provided one path. That's Jesus Christ. And it's about you. It's not about us, it's about you. When Peter says that, I mentioned it before, John 21, when Peter saw him, speaking of John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Doesn't matter where the church is going. Doesn't matter if this church imploded and the building burnt to the ground or the, became a cult or something like that. You follow Christ. What is that to you? Doesn't matter if every other Christian seemed to have all the success in the world and you didn't. What is that to you? Follow Christ. Peter is looking at someone who was Jesus' favorite. And it wasn't Peter, because Peter was stupid. 
And he was bothered a little bit. Christ says, what's that to you? When he is the way, the truth, and the life, we're loaded up with a lot of thought. But it comes down to if you follow, you've given up choices that you thought you could make. That's what faith is. Find a Lord. You find someone to follow. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your faithfulness to us over many centuries. With your grace, with your spirit, with your promises, we want to know you. We want to stand in your way. Not against you, but following you. Being led to where you are. Lord, help us set aside ourselves. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.